0: 75, we saw starting in Psalm 73 that this section of psalms we are in are psalms of Asaph. Now Asaph would have been uh, one of the musicians of David, and that gives us a little context as to maybe the time frame and and the person that, that, that wrote these or had something to do with these, at least in some form. These are attributed to Asaph. Last week in Psalm 74, we saw that Asaph was, was calling out to the Lord, God, don't forget us. That's, that basically sums it up. There were some enemies who were against Asaph and God's people, and Asaph says, God, don't forget us. It looks as though the enemy has the upper hand. The wicked are getting away with everything. God, they're mocking you. How long will you let the, the wicked and the evil get away? God, bring judgment. And that idea of, of bringing judgment uh, is kind of a, a theme that we've seen in, in 73, 74, and then uh, here again in 75 to some extent. But if Psalm 74 was Asaph's request, God deliver us, well, it seems that Psalm 75 is the response of deliverance that is that is, that is being Brought to Asaph, or some comfort that's being brought to Asaph that, hey, the Lord has not forgotten his people, that the Lord is in control and all powerful. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. God, we come to you and we thank you for your good word. And I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross as I preach and teach tonight, that you take away any pride or fear in my heart, but that your Holy Spirit would be the one that speaks through me and to each one of us tonight. Let us rejoice in you dear lord perhaps we are coming off of a season in our life where it seems like only bad things are happening it seems like just nothing's going right dear lord and we call out to you and maybe even sometimes we wonder if you hear us but god your word is a good reminder to us that you have not forgotten us god that you will not allow evil to go unpunished and you will take care of us you'll be our strength even in the tough times and we see a good uh Example of that in this psalm tonight. and So I pray that you bless this time we have. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Psalm 75 has the superscription for the choir director. Do not destroy a psalm of Asaph, a song. Now, sometimes we see these titles like do not destroy. Perhaps this was a certain tune. Perhaps that was the name of this. It's hard to know in a lot of these superscriptions exactly what these titles or how these, how these words are to be uh, associated with the psalm. But no doubt, probably the original audience would have understood some of these superscriptions better than perhaps we do. Verse 1, We give thanks to you, God. We give thanks to you for your name is near. People tell about your wonderful works. Now, this is a little different language than what we saw in Psalm 74. and uh, in, in that psalm, God, where are you? Have you forgot about us? Don't forget about us. But here, this psalm starts out with praise. God, we give thanks to you. We give thanks to you because your name is near. Now, when it says your name is near, that's language that we see sometimes in the Old Testament. That's just saying God is near. When it says your name, it's simply the writer saying, God, you are near us, you are with us, we praise you. Why? People talk about your wonderful works. Everybody knows who God is. They have seen God work in some way, maybe in the past, maybe in the present, but people are talking about God, people are praising God, and so this is a, this is a change. There may be times in our life where we wonder, man, God, have you forgotten about me? Are you with me? Are you going to deliver me? Are you going to take care of me? And then God does, Maybe we are reminded of something God has done in our past. Maybe God acts in the present in our life. And hopefully our response is, God, I praise you. God, I've seen your wonderful works. I rejoice in your wonderful works. God, I praise your name. I know you are near to me. And that's what Asaph says here in verse 1. And then the language shifts. Uh, we see Asaph speaking here in the first verse and now it shifts to God speaking here in the next uh, few verses. It says, when I choose a time, I will judge fairly. When the earth and all its inhabitants shake, I am the one who steadies its pillars, Selah. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn." Do not lift up your horn against heaven or speak arrogantly. Now this kind of goes along uh, with what we talked about with Ecclesiastes a couple of Sundays ago, right? Everything has its time. Everything is appropriate in its time. Everything is beautiful in its time. Everything that happens at whatever time it happens is because God has allowed it to happen at that time. And so, Asaph in the chapter before saying, Okay, God bring judgment on these evil people, God deliver us. And sometimes God does that what we would call quickly. Sometimes it may take a little bit longer based on our time scale, but when God acts, it will always be at the right time. And God says here, When I choose a time, I will judge fairly. Now, God will bring judgment on people that are deserving of judgment at the time they are deserving of judgment. Now, we don't know when that is. I mean, we see evil, we see bad things, and we say, all right, God, you need to judge it right now. But God is patient. He doesn't always judge things right now for whatever reason, because there is something that is going to occur, even in the bad, that God can work for the good of his kingdom. Perhaps he's just patient with those who do evil, desiring that they would repent. And so God will bring all things into judgment when the time is right. So if it appears as though evil is running rampant and the wicked get away with everything, well, fear not. We know that God will one day judge when the time comes. And not just judge, but what does it say about God's judgment? It is fair. The scripture tells us nobody will ever be able to accuse God of being unfair. God is fair in all that he does. He is beyond fair. Uh, it would be it, 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 God is so fair that God He could look at our sin and He could He could doom us to an eternity separated from Him. But man, what a wonderful grace God shows to us, and that He gives us an opportunity to repent of our sins so that we can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. God gives us many opportunities that we are not deserving of. He is certainly a fair God. He has been fair from Genesis one one all the way to the last page of our Bibles, God is fair. He has been fair for eternity past and will be fair in eternity future. Verse three, when the earth and all its inhabitants shake, I am the one who steadies its pillars, right? We kind of saw some of this language in the last week's psalm. God is over everything. Even if the earth shakes, God is the one that steadies it. Now that's a that's a pretty powerful verse when you think about it. I mean, you, you could think about maybe in a literal sense, the earth shakes, an earthquake, but, but maybe in a, in, a, in a more symbolic sense, how many times are our worlds shaken? Something happens in our life. We lose a loved one. We lose our job. Something really ho- horrific happens. We get, a, we get a really bad diagnosis at the doctor. And when those things occur, guess what? Our worlds are shaken. But who is the one that steadies all the things that shake? It is the Lord. The Lord can literally, physically steady this world, this planet, this universe, should it shake? How much more so can he steady our lives and the things that may shake us up? Maybe you are shaken tonight. Remember that God is the one who can steady you. And then God gives some instruction here. I say to the boastful, do not boast. Now that's good advice. That is not so different from what we talked about Sunday. We talked about pride, and that comes along with pride, often that boasting, that thinking too much of oneself. And and God's not recorded, at least in this section of scripture, saying much, but of all the things God could have said here in this moment, what does God say? He says, do not boast. Now, these enemies that are coming against Asaph are our enemies that may come against us, our difficulties, our hard times, in whatever way, our enemies come against us. Oftentimes those who are against the Lord and against God's people are often boastful and proud. And God says, do not boast. Now this is good instruction for us. We don't want to be those who become boastful and proud. And to the wicked, uh, do not lift up your Horn. Now, that language there is probably speaking of strength and power, and that becomes a little more apparent to us as we continue to read through uh, the chapter. The next verse: "Do not lift up your horn against heaven, or speak arrogantly." Now, we could say perhaps when we when we think about a horn, like a battle horn, it's blown before someone goes into battle. Uh, but but even with that symbolism and imagery, the idea is. You know, the one blowing the horn is the one going into the battle. They think that they are the strongest. Uh, so if we're thinking about a horn that, that you blow, perhaps that, that symbolism would fit here. But, but probably when it speaks of a horn here, it's simply speaking of strength. And we see that language throughout the Old Testament and, and even into the New Testament. Uh, we see it in some of the prophetic uh, books like Daniel and Revelation where it talks about uh, certain nations. And how are they described? They're described as, as horns. They're, that's their strength. That's their power. They're the, they're the horn. Uh, even sometimes applying to Israel, uh, we see that language kind of scattered throughout the Old Testament. And, and I think typically speaking, when we see that language of a horn, it's talking about someone's strength, someone's power. And so here God says to the wicked, do not lift your horn. That is, don't, don't try to come up against me because I am the one who is in control. And so if the wicked are going to be boastful and proud and arrogant, and they're going to bring their strength and power against me, they will soon find out that they, their power is pales in comparison to the power of the Lord. And now we shift back to the words of Asaph here. Exaltation does not come from the east, the west, or the desert. For God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts another. Now, this is similar language to what we have seen in the Proverbs, to what we see in the New Testament. Uh, That is, when we are proud, we have a tendency to want to exalt ourselves. I am the greatest. No one can stop me. I am the strongest. I am the most powerful. I don't need God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, as we often see in the Old Testament, the type of language in which God would have been referred to at the time of this writing, the, 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 the proud one will exalt himself or herself. But what does it say here? Exaltation doesn't come from the east, the west, or the desert, for God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts another. And so if we are going to be exalted in this world, it's not going to be by our strength, by our power, by our skill, by our good looks, by our wealth, by nothing. We are exalted by God. And so what does God do? He humbles the proud, but he exalts the humble. That's what we see time and time again in Scripture. Those who are first shall be last, but those who are last shall be first. The same idea. We see that in the New Testament pretty clear. And so there are many who are proud and arrogant who exalt themselves into the high positions and think they are really something. But one day God will humble those who have exalted themselves, but God will exalt those who are humble before him. We want to make sure that we are those who are exalted because we are humble, not those who are brought down because we are proud. Verse 8, For there is a cup in the Lord's hand full of wine blended with spices, and he pours from it. All the wicked of the earth will drink, draining it to the dregs. Now again, this is symbolic language, similar to what we see throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And when we see this language about God's cup, uh, it's certainly not literal language. I suppose it possibly could be, but I don't I don't think it's literally saying God has a cup with these with these things mixed up in it. It is symbolic language, and and oftentimes when we read of God's cup in His hand, it is symbolic language for God's wrath. It's the cup of God's wrath that's being poured out onto the enemies. And so God's cup is in his hand uh, and he pours it out. All the wicked of the earth will drink it up. That is, they will be the ones who drink up, who soak up, who experience the wrath of God. And so Asaph's language here changes. The last Psalm uh, that we saw, he's saying, God, don't forget about us, help us, are you there? And here, God, I praise you because you're here. And then God responds, yep, I'm here the boastful don't need to boast. I'm the one who is in control. And Asaph says, yep, those who exalt themselves will be brought down, but, but God will exalt those who need to be exalted. And what of those who are brought down? Those are the ones who will experience the cup of God's wrath. Uh, they will drink, draining it to the dregs. Now, dregs means the bottom of the cup. All that sediment, everything, sediment, everything that comes down to the bottom of the cup That's the dregs. And so there's not going to be anything left. The the, the wicked are going to drink all the way to the bottom, even the nasty stuff that may settle in the bottom. They will fully uh, drink the wrath of God. They will not go unpunished. Verse 9. As for me, I will tell about him forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob. I will cut off all the horns of the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Now, here in verse 9, we see this language, uh, I will tell about him forever. Now, that needs to be our response. The response of Asaph here needs to be, okay, I've had a hard time. I've called out to God. Things are tough. The wicked look like they're kind of getting away with everything, but God is still in control. God has not left. God has not abandoned. God says, at the proper time, I will judge fairly. And what will be the result of God's judgment? It says, I will cut off the horns of the wicked, that is, strip the wicked of their strength and their power. They will be powerless before the Lord. But what of the righteous? But the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Very similar language to what we saw about being brought down or being exalted. So the strength of the wicked will be taken away by the Lord, but the righteous strength will be strengthened by the Lord. And this is a beautiful, a beautiful follow-up to Psalm 74, because Psalm 74 was kind of tough and, and kind of a downer. Uh, but then Psalm 75 is, is somewhat uplifting, and okay, God has heard, God has answered, and God will deliver those who are righteous. And so we want to make sure in our life that we are the righteous. Now, we are not righteous by anything that we do. We are righteous by the righteous work of Jesus Christ. When we humble ourselves at the cross of Jesus Christ and say, God, I've been trying to do it on my own, by my own strength, and I'm living in my own sin, and I'm failing, but God, I ask you to forgive me through what Jesus has done on the cross. We are washed as white as snow, and we are made righteous by the righteous acts of Jesus Christ. And when we humble ourselves before God, there will come a day where we will be exalted, perhaps not in this world, but for all eternity. We will be exalted in the presence of the Lord, not because of our works, but because of God's grace and because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So let us be those who humble ourselves before the Lord. Let us be those who say, God, I've called out to you. I'm not always sure if you're there, but I know you are, God. I see you respond, and I praise you because of your goodness. And I will boast about your name forever. That's what we see with Asaph, and that's a good example for how we should live. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these good words, and I pray that you would help us to live by them because maybe, God, there are times that we feel a lot like Psalm 74 where it seems like everything is going wrong. But God, I pray that you help us to see the power of Psalm 75. God, that you are there, that your presence is there, that you speak, that you act, that you are In control, dear Lord. So let us not fear what we are up against, because God, your word tells us you will deliver those who are yours, and you will bring judgment to those who are not. So God, help us to be those who humble ourselves before you, not those who are puffed up with pride and trust in their own strengths and ability, but God, that we would humble ourselves and trust in the strength of Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.